0: Hello everyone and welcome to What's Wrong with the Podcast. Today we have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Aldi Mould. Aldi is a British geographer at Royal Holloway University of London. His research and writing focuses on the role of urban creativity, mutual aid, activism and politics. In his books Against Creativity and Seven Ethics Against Capitalism, along with his other writings online and in academic journals. He denounces contemporary creativity and neoliberalism and proposes new political for a fairer, more sustainable, ecologically just, and planetary future. Enjoy. Enjoy. <music> Welcome to our podcast. Today, we have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Ali Mole. Ali is a lecturer at Boyle Holloway, University of London, and the author of brilliant and provocative books, which we recently came across as sour and found very thought-provoking, which are Against Creativity, Seven Ethics Against Capitalism, and Urban Subversion in the Creative City. Ali, welcome.
1: Hi, how are you doing?
0: Good. Thank you. We're so happy to have you here. Happy to um, be here please tell us a bit about yourself and your background and how you came to write these amazing books
1: <laughs> well that's first of, first of all very kind to say that they're amazing that's uh I, I'm you're probably overstating them a bit but um so I guess the background to them came from my career trajectory really I started doing uh, a phd uh, in human geography um and I was doing it on the on the cultural industries on the creative industries as a as an idea. And it was around 2004, 2005, when uh, the creative industries were becoming quite politically prevalent and very important, particularly in the UK, where I was based. They were uh, the brainchild really of Tony Blair's new Labour government. Uh, And I won't go into the the background of their collectivisation, but essentially, they were big, big business, really, and they were sort of very, very hot politically. So the creative industries were a real big thing. And I finished my PhD and got a job as a kind of consultant, a sort of, it was in a think tank, essentially, called the Creative Industries Observatory. And um, it was sort of initially started and it kind of sold as a, it would be an academic engine where you do some really cool data gathering and questionnaires and really sort of uh, hard and fast academic studies. And that would then inform um, other institutions around it which would then go on and you know uh, advocate for the creative industries abroad and and that sort of thing but very quickly six months seven months eight months into the job it became a bit more of a sort of lobbying exercise and it became very quickly mired in all the various political problems that you know these things get associated with and I spent a lot of time over in Westminster uh, in treasury select committees and all sorts of boring things that uh were essentially just advocating for sort of british businesses and 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 the language was very um superficial and i just i just got very very upset and very very disillusioned with it all uh so i i decided to uh scurry back into academic life with my tail firmly between my legs and uh i embarked upon a a, you know a sort of more traditional academic group but that um disillusionment if you like with with the creative industries never left me and it kind of became part of the academic work which i then pursued and um it culminated in those the first two books which is obviously urban subversion and the creative city and then against creativity which is and they're both very much um critiques of how creativity is mobilized politically economically socially um obviously the first one being sort of more urban focused but then the against creativity being more kind of just how it is more you know socio-politically I guess so that's really the background that's kind of where they all came from um and then I've gradually more angry at the world since so it's um yeah that that's kind of where where my disdain if you like for the creativity discourse comes from
0: uh, I love it so much, and we don't necessarily perceive it as like anger. I mean, we're called sour, right? Like our podcast yeah. is called "What's Wrong," but clearly we have an attitude. But we love the attitude in the books, and obviously, like when we really advocate for like creative approaches, like a title like "Against Creativity" was very, very intriguing yeah. for us. Um, and then also, like even though like being in the industry and observing. Many dysfunctionalities during practice. um, It still was, at least like for me, it was really surprising to like, I I definitely had a lot of, oh, right, like moments when reading, right? It was still like very, um, uh, it raised my consciousness, let's say, uh, uh, in many things around creativity and maybe. Let's say Western creativity, or even like uh, in your case, uh, maybe like capitalist creativity. Um, Could you give a little bit more? And you build this up like great in your books, but like context of like first of all, uh, I guess what could or should creativity mean? Well, we'll come to that later. But like, Mm -hmm. what is it at present today as widely practiced? Like, what is creativity?
1: So when you hear the term creativity, uh, it's you know more often than not a top-down narrative, and you know that this is the um, political uh, collectivization, if you like, which I was just mentioning before, because it's it's an idea which um, is mobilized or has been mobilized deliberately by political discourses to mean uh, accumulation growth. And essentially, the same kinds of economic practices, which you know have been going on for, for, for decades and decades since. So there's different kinds, slightly different stories about, and depending on where you go to, but essentially you can boil it down to the to the New Labour government, Tony Blair in the in the United Kingdom. There's, there was a bit before that in Australia, actually, and and but from a, in a Western context, Tony Blair and his poor cool Britannia rhetoric which which swept him into power in sort of 1997 1998 um that was the was the beginning of the creativity discourse uh, the con- context around that you've got you know uh, the onset of the internet and virtual te- um, technologies and um just the sort of spread of um uh, global capital around the world you know the, the the you the ability to do work all all around the world and so there was a sense that um what the weightless economy if we're going to use that word uh, which often people use at school we don't use it much anymore but that idea that you know you can kind of move anywhere and do anything and the, the economy is based on ideas and and creativity and so that was really the, the genesis of the, of, the, of the term and actually you can trace it back to a, to a, a guy called Chris Smith who in um, late one night he was meeting the treasury the following day in an attempt to try and get a load of money and he said, "Why? Instead of calling them the cultural industries, so film, te- um, you know, TV, radio, the arts, they were hit, they were before that called the cultural industries." And he said, "No, culture is very badly funded. No one likes funding culture in today's world. Let's call them the creative industries." And really, that was it. Uh, and after that, they're like, "Oh yeah, how can you be against creativity?" You know. So um, they called it the creative industries, and it was really. Uh, as he's told me a finger in the wind exercise it was like well let's just sort of do this and then and then they wrote this document they collectivized it and it's stuck you know it's stuck ever since like you know 20 25 years later so um it wow. was a political exercise and that's and you know from that it says right well you have to be creative you have to be agile you have to be footloose you have to do this you have to do that and but they're all designed to they follow the contours of the prevailing you know kind of ways in which capitalism goes making people more agile making sure that they can do more with less you know it's 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 all a language designed to keep us ensnared in, in a realm of work you know the classic example i talk about in the book i think i've mentioned it briefly is subway the fast food chain right they called their people sandwich artists <laughs> yeah. it's, it, that, to me that just sums up really nicely it's like well no they're oh. fast food workers they're, they're precarious uh, fast food workers with low pay and they're called artists and so there's a real you know th- that you can see w- where it goes it's just a sort of superficiality which masks existing processes of extraction yeah and uh you know all that sort of stuff so that's kind of what creativity is in from a sort of top-down perspective when you see it everywhere on posters and policy reports that's what they're referring to
0: it's definitely made me reflect to you know like language has Power And it kind of like starts defining our behaviors and environments, whereas also environments and behaviors like start shaping language. But I like it really uh, like stuck with me, like the conversation around like how also the word creative or creativity is basically like to your point is almost used as a euphemism for something that is a little bit more uncomfortable, but like, oh, let's get creative, which like is used in a context where it totally shouldn't. Uh, I also feel like one other word like that is, like, collaboration. We collaborated, right? Like, which you clearly didn't collaborate. Like, I I feel like we carry these words around things where, like, try to, I don't know, we're trying to make ourselves feel better or feel less guilty of what we're doing, whatever the reason is. But, like, uh, that that was super interesting. And also, like, to your point about really... I guess, like, driving economy. Like, I connected the dots, like, knowing, you know, we do work with a lot of creative agencies, and as we work, like, we we realize, oh, wow, like, majority of the content of the world is controlled by, like, several agencies. And you're kind of like, so you could easily, like, create trends, right? Like, you can promote mm-hmm. one concept, and then you're, like, reflecting back in, like, history, like, as a woman, too. Oh, like, the you know, like you can do it all kind of like marketing for like mothers and like really like representing a woman, like getting on a flight and then p- picking up their child from daycare, like with seamless hair. Right. So like <laughs> all of that, like it made me reflect on like so many things. And um, and then you're kind of like, is it creative work or is it then I don't know, like societal engineering or mass transformation, whatever we want to call it. Yeah. Um, and then I also like reflected on some things like sometimes the creative firms or firms that are trying to be creative also become complicit in it by, I don't know, like maybe making budget as a, or timeline as an excuse to not really get creative, mm-hmm. right? Although like we believe that creativity actually starts when you have many constraints that are like uh, that yeah. corner you and you can actually be creative, but creativity somehow is like being associated with like having a large budget so you can like do anything. And then you, like the examples you give around like the tech industry and like how they're very creative, right? And probably get a lot of venture capital money. Um, So I like reflected on so many different aspects and I was curious to like get your thoughts on like, is that also like, what you want to like resonate with like readers or like Mm. like or like what like what what is the like what would what what did you also hope for people both in the creative industries and not like think or um feel as they're reading
1: so i i I think that there's a real uh sense that you know i didn't want necessarily people to jack in what they're doing and say i'm not going to leave the creative industries or you know whatever it is I think I'm hopefully relatively careful to 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 ascertain that you know sculptors, computer game designers, advertisers—well, maybe not advertisers. (laughs) A different argument altogether. But that you know, being creative or being artistic is not a problem. It's it's how it is all kind of brought together. So the question I was asked to people is, what is it you're creating? What is it you're actually you know trying to create? And when I've asked artists this and software engineers and computer games or whoever they end up being the 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 answer was it revolves around oh an emotional response i want to create an emotional response in someone so whether they're watching a film or listening to a piece of music or playing a computer game i i created it because i wanted people to have a sort of an emotional response and that you know that is at its heart is kind of what the, the creativity should or could be it's that emotional response to a, a particular problem or to a particular uh, thing in the world and then you know you respond to that in, in some way you know ideally trying to sort of make it a better thing whatever it ends up being you know they never say oh you know i wanted to make more money or i wanted to sort of bring something but that's ultimately how the creativity discourse is, comes about that they're saying oh we be creative, but only be bring something to the market. You know, it's like, oh, be creative. Make that new computer game so we can make more money. You know, be Make that new film so, you know, we can get more bums on seats in the cinema. So there's, there's a sort of, there's a clash there between what is it you're actually creating? What is it you're trying to bring into the world? And I think that's what I was trying to get at is that the current discourse of creativity doesn't bring anything new to the world it just brings new stuff that we can consume on the, on the, on the same, in the same way. So what I'm trying to trying to get people to think about is like, well, actually, what is it you're trying to create? Are you, if, are you creating something genuinely new? Is it an emotional response? Is it a brand new way of seeing the world? Is it a brand new form of social organization? So yeah. I mean, we can talk about some of the other things, but I mean, like, for me, some of the most creative people and creative collectives are those that are bringing genuinely new forms of societal organisation into the world. So yeah. that's that's where I wanted people to see it. And actually, some of the best responses I've had to the book have been from people who have been, you know, quite relatively sort of high up, if you like, in the creative industries, And they said, oh, you know, I've, I've, I've never been quite been able to put on the finger of why... I feel so bad, but you've been able to do it. And it's been great hearing from these people. And they've gone on to do something yeah. really since.
0: Because I could see, like, you know, like, for example, if we think about a famous songwriter, right? Mm. Let's say Adele. Clearly, like, when she's writing songs, like, it's very personal, pouring from her heart. And then, like, it resonates with millions. And potentially, you know, helps them go through their own personal journey while listening to such music, right? So there's definitely like you, like with your creative work, you're touching others' lives, um, and it's a new thing in the into the world. And yet, as you release that, so this is like where it gets like mind-boggling for me, right? So let's say you created something totally out of the system, right, and shared it with the world. And people are now consumers of it. And it's maybe, you know, sometimes we have anthems of, uh, you know, uh, rise against, like, um, governments. We have um, breakup songs, like whatever, right? So they're part of, like, people's personal journeys or sometimes even society's personal journeys. Um, and yet, that eventually. Still becomes part of the system. It becomes a product where it starts feeding the industry, or like all the moneymakers start gathering around that artist to sponsor the next hit, um, which then turns into this like machine again, where I'm sure all artists kind of like go through a crisis in their lives when that starts happening. Um, so, with all these complex, overlapping tangents parallel systems in the world how does even creativity live outside or survive outside of these systems or do we ever intend to um or do we recognize it's going to be part of the system but maybe it will avoid xyz so this is like layers of like where it gets very complicated i wanted to unpack this with you
1: it's a it's a really important question and one that i often engage with when when we have these conversations wherever i might be whether it's in my lectures with my students or whether it's in seminars or indeed you know podcasts like this it's it's a really important question and i i don't have all the answers and i, I no, no one person does but uh i think collectively there's a an understanding that the subsumption if you like or the the appropriation of a of a personal idea like you say like one of Adele's songs or a even like a perhaps an anti-capitalist motif right uh the, the classic example that that Pepsi advert with Carl Jenner when she hands the Pepsi I mean things like that it's <laughs> it, things get appropriated so quickly these days because capitalism is very very agile in what it does and that's why I think the advertising industry is you know not creative in any way shape or form because that, that's what that's purely what they do um so i think that it's in order for you know, to sort of be outside in in inverted commas, the system, or at least for some, for an idea that does have some, some, does have some resonance in creating a better world, then the, um, it's, it's like you say, it's those, it's that sort of socio-political machine that spreads it out from that initial sort of person's mind that needs to change. In the last I guess, 30, 40 years of sort of neoliberal capitalism, it has been, that, that machine has been utterly perfected to, to take an idea and profit from it immediately, to like slap a label on it, put it into market. What we need to do, I say we need, I think that's a loaded two words there, but I think that in order for these ideas to sort of actually affect change and make lives better for people is for that machine to be altered and that's the, the, the Against Capitalism book, the subtitle I think is really important towards a planetary commons. So I'm a little bit annoyed that they didn't put it on the front of the cover of the book I I should. second edition maybe. But I think that uh, that subtitle towards a planetary commons is what I think is what, what needs to happen. And so there are ways in which these systems, these, these structures, these so political and social structures can be changed. We see it all around us. And actually with climate catastrophe happening, that those voices are getting louder, saying like we can't continue on a growth protocol. So like degrowth and things like you know uh, common common ownership of things, taking out um, private ownership of, of things that are really far too important to be given over to public companies like healthcare, like you know um, water. So there's lots of in, you know, there's lots of political maneuverings that can be done. But of course, you could have the political appetite to do it. And here in the UK and the US and various other parts of the Western world, you know, we are lumbered with these governments, which don't sort of think that way. So there are options and there are examples all around us of how these systems can be can be done quite on quite a big scales, quite national scales, you know, uh, sometimes on urban scales as well. So um, I'm hopeful because they do exist. And these systems will allow those creative people those creative ideas to actually do what they were meant to do and you know affect change in people's lives and then they can then go on to affect change in the world more broadly so yeah that's kind of the answer but that you know that's a very very difficult question it involves political action it involves resistance it involves all sorts of different things but it but it can be done
0: yeah, uh, I did feel like uh, that book is a little bit like exploring the solutions, right? And um, yeah. and I loved it in a way because like, you know, like we often come across on whichever what problem or what we're talking about on this podcast, some of the commonalities and like how do we even like find solutions is like, well, one, I guess like big thing that keeps coming up is like diverse collaborations, right? And the other one is like both bottom up and top down solutions, Um, And yet, like, for top-down, I guess, policy often, if not always, lags, right? So we cannot necessarily wait around for, like, policy to change. But what I loved about the book is, like, when you talk about ethics, it can start on an individual level, right? Like, for example, you talk about individualism versus mutualism, and you can be a more empathetic person, an open person, and a caring person about people and strangers around you, as an individual, and you uh, like, it's kind of like that would resonate, right? Like hoping that that would have a ripple effect, and it could. Um, and uh, you know, like it's also like everything that else, like you talk about. And Alfie Cohn, who we also like interviewed on this podcast, talks about like respectful, respectful rebellionism. <laughs> like that's how we have to we have to raise respectful rebels, like for like future generation, and how to raise. Kids and he re- highly criticizes like all these like stickers of like you know spoiled child and all of that like children mm. who are like acting out where they're actually maybe questioning or going against something you know like things that we actually want to see from adults we kind of curb them when they're little so he talks about a little bit like he looks at this angle in like an early childhood which i really like uh connected mm. uh with your book but can you like walk us through maybe quickly about like the main Like themes like the ethics you talk about in the book because I feel like in itself like all of us can take note on a personal level in all of those and really um don't feel like this is just like a big problem that we can't do anything about Mm -hmm. but there's something to do at an individual level
1: yeah so there are seven of these ethics which I outline and as you say they're they're individual traits to to a certain degree um but I do try not sort of say how they can be thought about more socially um you know i guess very quickly those are the mutualism so you're thinking about kind of like you say being more empathetic because we are social creatures right and i think that if we can make an effort to be more empathetic in our daily lives that sort of stuff does spread through communities and there's lots of really excellent examples particularly during the pandemic you know mutual aid and all the various things you know it was a horrible time it still is kind of ongoing right i mean it's a horrible time for many people but you know, I saw some fantastic examples of community actions coming together in being very mutual. So there's that one. uh, The other one is kind of being minoritarianism. So I always try to keep them as one word. So it's kind of a bit of a made up word. But essentially, uh, just recognizing that the world as it currently is, is very unequal, as we know, and there are various uh, sort of identity politics around all that. And there are various identities of people which have more power than others at the moment, simply because of the structures we've built, you know, institutional racism, sexism, ableism, classism, all these things. So it's about understanding that and trying to equalize that as much as you possibly can. Practically, that just involves understanding your privilege and using it for the betterment of others. You know, it sounds like utopian, but that's essentially what it is. Um, the third one is thinking about transmaterialism. And I use the word trans deliberately as a, because of its critique of binary thinking, because capitalism is very good at dividing the world into, you know, humans and non-humans and sort of thinking that, well, to be a human is you, you have to be a good human. You have to grow and consume and, you know, buy things and get your mortgage and your 2.4 kids and da, 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 da. Whereas, yeah. you know, and, and, it, and it makes things non-human saying, well, they are therefore to be sacrificed on the altar of profitability so being trans material is to kind of problematize that a little bit so veganism to a certain extent although i have my issues with the veganism but things that sort of help us to understand that the world is part of us and we are part of the world essentially uh, and there are other slow being slow is obvious like understanding of failure not necessarily as a kind of precursor to success but failure understanding it on its own terms um and uh, another one's like decodification, which is quite complicated. But and I've had a few talks to some people who don't really necessarily agree with it, to be honest. But the idea that we we live in a quantified world, everything has to be given a number. In fact, last night I was on a just on a train, I was just flicking through Google, and people like five star ratings, like the Trip Advisorification of everything. You know, even things like stations have have star ratings. It's like I don't need to know whether this is a really cool station. It, I didn't. I need to use it, right? I don't have a choice. I don't care whether it's got one star or five stars on Google. <laughs> um, the same, you know, things like pharmacies and car parks, people rate these things. And it's like, well, why? Why are you doing this? So, like, trying to sort of just step away a bit from a quantification because there's so much that exists in the tacit qualitative world, which gets lost in all that. And then finally, the last one's love. I mean, obviously, that's the kind of inner hippie in me, I guess, coming through. But love is a very mm-hmm. powerful force when thought about in particular ways and so individually they kind of act as like you say personal kinds of someone called it a, a, a self-care book for um anti-capitalists which i, I guess <laughs> i got that. but collectively i think you put them all together and i think that that, that though you you get a little bit of i hesitate words blueprint i think think of it more of a, as a sort of prompt i guess for um how social and institutional frameworks can be built that that actually are better for the world, uh, you know, with climate catastrophe and all that, and also better for us. So that's kind of what that book is about. And so the, the against capitalism, it's I think I think that was done to sort of be provocative, but actually it's a slightly more hopeful book than that. I think.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And like we also, you know, I guess to like for the listeners too to reflect on these like ethics on a corporate level right like uh, Mm -hmm. I mean we're not necessarily corporate we're like studio of 15 people but still like there are like takeaways you can do from these and like apply in like processes or practice as well like for example going into any project we do kind of like a positionality exercise right like where do we stand in life? Like, what is our privilege? Who's not in the room? Like, understanding all of that. Like, this is a simple activity that you can do, which I think goes a long way in the process. Or, like, we uh, we we commission ourselves a lot of research um, and we purposefully delay any design solutions or concepts or outcomes that we might create out of it because, like, especially, like, one example was, like, during the pandemic, right? Like, everybody was, like, pandemic started everybody's like rushing around like out like design solutions, which are featured in major publications and hideous ideas, right? Like let's eat in like plastic bubbles from now on. Like all of these non-sustainable, not environmentally friendly, not adaptive like uh, things coming out. Like we purposefully really slowed down and said like, okay, if work life is changing, that also means home life could be changing. So why not we do diary studies at homes, right? Like what is changing? Like actually, like, uh, so I think we're living in such a fast pace. We want everything yesterday world that we really forget to slow down. And with that, by not slowing down, we carry a lot of bias and perform a lot of things on autopilot, which is contributing and just manifesting the problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like these are like some examples that we see like, well, I both like as reading, I both felt like, oh, there's something personal I can do about this. But I also felt like, oh yeah, like there are some things we can still do also at work level, which probably even would have a bigger impact because especially as creatives or designers, architects, like our outcomes affect other people's lives and kind of define equity or inequity, right? In some ways, in some context. So Mm -hmm. um, everything that you mentioned in the book has like ways of like in, like engaging into mm-hmm. our day to day personal and like business processes, and I wanted to just like touch upon this a little bit um, for the listeners to for these to not feel like abstract or too big, right? Like you can yeah. start somewhere. Like clearly, there's a small action in all of these.
1: Absolutely, because ultimately that's what the world is made up of, right? They are made up of small actions and um, everyday. Uh, you know, everyday activities all kind of cobbled into, you know, one sort of meta-narrative at the end. I mean, that's why I use the term ethics. You know, I went boy with the philosophy of it, but essentially it's about contagion. You know, mm. they're ethics because they're contagious. You know, ultimately, you know, if you do it, act in this way, you might not see it happening around you, but it does, you know, if you don't have to be a CEO or a person with any kind of influence. You, you could, just in your in your everyday life, You will come across different people different things different materials and if you can sort of have those ideas in your head as you're acting and behaving and just living then it does sort of via this kind of contagious sort of osmosis if you like does it does spread through the world which is why we need more of it um so yeah it it it, it's not it's not about kind of thinking big although you know we all we do have to sort of have those uh Processes in our mind, but they we can only act individually, and so you know that 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 that's that entire phrase, isn't it? Think global, act local. I mean, you know, kind of notwithstanding the issues around the sort of scale issues of that, but that's kind of what it is, you know. So you can enact these things in your daily life. Uh, the, you know, the big one is is the climate change thing. I mean, you know, I read a stat somewhere that uh, a, a one hour private jet flight produces the same amount of CO2 as the average person does in six months, just sort of living normally. And you see things like that and you just think, oh, well, what's the point? Or what, what, what difference can I make? And there, there's a, you know there, there's, I, that's a perfectly understandable sort of solution. But I think that, that what that reaction does is it cuts off the fact that you are one person in a whole collective. So, if you do something, you buy an electric car, or you put some solar panels, or do whatever you do, or go or go on a extinction rebellion march, or whatever it is, it's not just you doing that. It has effects. It might not see it, and it might be latent. It might not happen in the in the now. It might not happen in that place. But yeah. you you know you do have an effect, and so the more that we can do that, the people power will overtake you know the people that fly their private jets. So I think that. You know, we have to understand that in the that the world is made up of individual activities all combined together. So we have to change the way that we act and be in this world if we're going to, you know, halt climate change. So I think that um, you know, there's we can do all sorts of things, and the book is littered with examples of, of what we can do in different ways of living our lives. So, so yeah, so it's a really good point
0: yeah I mean that's why I love the book so much because like I'm a person with a tendency of like doing systems view which at times can be like paralyzing or even depressing if you're looking at the system, a systemic problem and my like one uh, anxiety starting the book was like oh great I'm gonna now like read all these things which like maybe like I'll I'll be sad after it and then no like I started to think about like a lot of things on a personal level and the book talks about a lot of examples and I started to like reflect on some things we do at sour So in that sense, it felt very hopeful. And um, I want to highlight that because oh, you. um, yeah. to, your, to your point, like what we do resonates and does have effect on others. And yes, uh, maybe we can't, like as an individual who is not a billionaire might have like a certain level of impact that that person might have in the world, but one is greater than zero. And if this becomes, if we want to talk about numbers, right, and if this becomes like a collective yeah. one greater than zero, then it has a huge impact. Exactly.
1: And you know, the, the, us in the West and in the global North, we have a disproportionate impact on the world than people in the global South. And so, you know, the book is, you know, I guess aimed at that audience more, uh, you know, the anglophone audience, I guess, for one yeah. of the better. Friends. So it, it, there is a sort of sense that well, actually, it's up to us. it's uh, that you know the disproportion? You know, as as your power and influence in the world increases you have more of a responsibility to act but that doesn't mean that i mean we in the west have like i said disproportionate effects so we still have a responsibility as 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 uh, relatively small in comparison to elon musk or jeff bezos but we still have a responsibility and so that is that is an important point to make i think
0: yeah i love that and that ties a little bit into the last part i want to discuss uh a piece of advice to anyone who wants to make progress in i guess like in being creative or any other uh, thing in the world
1: huh. i mean it's it's a really uh difficult question to answer because i think <laughs> that there's so many different ways you can do it listen i think that um i've been asked this before particularly about sort of younger people and i my 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 gut response is always to sort of maintain uh, collectives. So to to understand that your your individual individuality comes uh, in a relationship with the collective, and so it is to sort of to, to 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 understand that there is power in the collective. Um, you know that your you know the sum is always greater than the um so the whole is always greater than the sum of its parts. And, you know, by getting together with your friends, your neighbors, your communities, your family, you're always going to be able to affect change better. So whether that means. So, for example, I was in a I was giving a talk to some um, masters graduates who were looking to start in the creative industries. Right. they were all sort of budding musicians or uh, writers and artists, and they were all sort of pleading. So how do we not become part of the machine? And my response is, well, maintain collectives if, you know, form sort of unions or collectives or cooperatives because you, you you know the the precariousness and the um you know the the exploitation happens when one person sort of undercuts someone else so if you know if you've got a a commissioner who says oh well I need this graphic design done um you know can you do it for free please? Uh if some person says oh no you know I don't particularly want to do it for free, but if I don't I'll get a job. If I don't say yes, then it'll go somewhere else. If you then go to that, you know, if you have a collective and you say, actually, no, we're, we're not going to do it for free. I want you to pay me. And if you ask this person and this person and this person, and this person, they're all going to say the same thing because we are, we have formed a collective and we've all agreed that we are going to sort of say, no, we're not going to do it for free. And so that sort of thing. So when I say collective, I mean collective power, collective action. Um, there's a wonderful... Um, Video that I've seen, which is probably doesn't really work on a podcast, but it's <laughs> of um, AOC. You know the uh, Cortez. The um,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: He's in a room and people are sort of heckling her. Uh, I forget what it was. You know, I think it's about sort of you're not thinking about the white working class or something. And she does a thing. And says, "Look, the fight is here," and she sort of waves. She wags her finger up and down. It's, it's not here. As she wa- she wags her finger between herself and the people. So the fight is not here. It's here. And I think that, that to me is great, you know, and I think that sums it up. You know, we, th- you have to know who your colleagues are, to know who your sort of comrades are and use that power upwards. And I think that that is the advice I give to people because without collectives, you're just gonna get you know, picked apart like, and the divide and conquer will happen. So it's, it's about understanding the power that you have as a collective, however that manifests I- up in your life.
0: I love this, and I feel like it is something that I hope anyone in like field of architecture, product design, graphic design, whatever, mm. like, creative field um, could, like, hear. And it is also so much more meaningful than just saying, like, collaborate with others. like Because this is collaboration yeah. in the end, too, but you're also collaborating to make sure you're protecting um, certain things and also, like, not being part of, I guess, the machine, right? So. Uh, I love it, and I'm sure like we have like pe- people in the team could be like, oh, like somebody told me <laughs> that when I was in college. Um, yeah. But yeah, this was so so amazing, Ollie. Thank you so much. It was such a treat. Any um, upcoming books or anything that we should be uh, looking out for?
1: Um. So the 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 next book I'm currently writing, although it's slow progress, is uh, called Post Capitalist Cities. So it's kind of going slightly back to my urban roots. I'm an urban geographer, really, by training, I guess. Uh, that will hopefully be out in the next year. Yeah, we now, 2022s. Yeah, so uh, I just need to finish it off. By, I suspect I'm probably not going to finish that now. till so before Christmas. So, um, But it's a basically... Uh, an, a, again, I've got a, sort of one of these silly or funky kind of um, uh, subtitles. It's like a down-and-out urbanism. So rather than up and in, sort of down mm. and out. Um, so thinking about uh how we can create kind of those kind of cities along those kinds of lines like collective common kinds of environment because we're seeing so much of it around i was in manchester in, in the uk not that long ago last week actually there was some amazing kind of communes sort of places people um squatting on land and uh, sorting on kind of old um, parkland and stuff and yeah just the sort of things they're creating and the kinds of infrastructures they've got are just well they're very creative right they're very different they're very new um but all this, at the same time quite old because they're kind of they, they feel quite traditional now right. with so there's a sort of so anyway so i'm looking at that so it will kind of be trying to be a i guess if i'm thinking about it you know as a linear thing thinking about how those ethics if you like perhaps could be transposed to sort of on the urban environment and thinking more about how we can create sort of better common cities. So yeah, going back to my urban roots for a bit, because I feel I've neglected them for a little bit. Oh,
0: I love it. And I also love like books kind of like shape up in like series almost. I feel like all of them are connected to each other. So I think it's because yeah. like
1: we all sort of, I mean, we all have a particular drum to beat. So it kind of it ends up coming through and like, you know, a book length, well, the length of a book, it doesn't give you a huge amount of time to sort of, <laughs> Well, no, hang on, no. It, what I mean is you end up sort of saying the same things because I don't have that much stuff to say in, in like 100,000 words. So it it all ends up kind of saying, oh, actually that's... So yeah, it's, it's they'll have a bit of a series, but it will be yeah, kind of... Yeah,
0: but they're all like so intertwined and it's good to yeah. do, I feel like a deep dive into some perspectives of it or some potential applications yeah. of it in like different contexts. So we will be on the lookout for it for sure. Um, and okay, yeah, and hope to see many more... <laughs>
1: Thank you very much. Well, I, yeah, that's the plan. So we'll see how we go.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Ali. Thanks for Thank joining.
1: Thank you. Take care. Bye.
0: And that is this week's episode of What's Wrong With the Podcast. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcasting platform. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Links can be found in the episode description, and you can also find them on our website, X Y Z? If you found value in the show, we would appreciate if you could rate us and leave a review, or you can simply tell your friends about us. For more details on our guests, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Don't forget to join us next week. Thank you for listening.